Football MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Fly Racing, Blends All Racing Motor Oil, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, and Pro Glow. Welcome to another episode of the Industry Seating Podcast. Kind of weird timing. We're in between Monster Energy Supercross and Lucas Oil Pro Motocross. And uh, yeah, one more, I guess next week we'll get back to normal. It'll be race week again. But it's been nice to have a little break. This is the longest break that I can remember between both series, maybe ever. I, I don't have a way to historically check it without doing a bunch of research that, yeah, honestly, I don't really care to know that badly. But it has been a nice break, I think, from the riders to the team personnel to, yeah, just everybody in the industry to get a little bit of time off and be home and reset before this series starts has uh, has been nice. So looking forward to the start of the motocross series. I know all the, all the riders have been testing a ton, uh, whether they've been in California or in Florida or a little bit of both, which is probably... The closest thing to the truth, they, you know, a lot of these guys have to go to California to get some of the testing in that they need if they're working with, uh, sometimes they have to work with Japanese engineers if they're on, if they ride for a Japanese OEM. Sometimes it's a little bit easier in that aspect if you ride for KTM or Husky because I have seen a little bit more of a, a willingness to test in Florida in that situation. I, and I don't know if it's just because of, you know, where Japan is located. If, if guys are coming over, maybe they live in California full time, but I, it's just something I've noticed anecdotally along the way. I do want to thank uh, all the sponsors of this podcast before we get too far into this. Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Pump Creek Funding, Fast Foundry, Works Connection, Blenzol Oils, Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, 612 Suspension, Grant Stone Boots, Pro Glow Wash, and fly racing, and I'll give you guys some promo codes later. But I wanted to talk a little bit today about what I expect to see briefly. We'll get obviously way more into depth as the season gets here, but I, I did want to give you guys some content. I, I know as an avid podcast listener myself, man, when you don't get podcasts coming, it gets pretty boring. You need stuff to listen to, whether it's for your commute or at work or what what have you. I, I'm no different. So at least it'll give, this will give you something to listen to. And I think this is going to be the summer of change in a few aspects, because if you look at who is doing what, there's kind of a lot happening, a lot of, a lot of movement. Uh, you know, you look at Eli Tomac and his shocking move to Monster Star Yamaha. I, I will be honest, I did not see that coming in any way, shape, or form, and I was completely taken aback. I didn't hear whisperings of it. Uh, that was a deal that was kept really quiet. And, uh, I guess kudos to everybody involved for getting that done with arguably the biggest name in the sport, switching teams. Uh, you know, and the key common denominator there, in my opinion is, is monster. You know, so much of this sport is driven by energy drinks, which which is great. It's, I think it's a blessing on all fronts. You know, it's a little scary to have so much reliance on one, one sector of, uh, you know, an, sponsorship companies, but I guess, you know, don't look a a gift horse in the the mouth. What else can we do? You know, they've been a a huge supporter of, of supercross and motocross for a long time. And hopefully that never changes. But for Tomac, I think when, you know, this deal was first presented or, you know, the first time it ever entered his mind or was offered to him, I'm sure very early on, he had to be considering, how would monster view this? And would they be cool? Like how, how would his personal deals move along? And and there's so much gray area there where maybe he didn't care. Maybe, maybe all of that monster deal is tied in with 
Kawasaki and, you know, Yamaha and Monster had worked behind the scenes and basically said, Hey, are you going to step up and cover whatever difference in base pay this is? Because make no mistake, signing Eli Tomac away was not a cheap endeavor. It was absolutely expensive. And, you know, I, I can guarantee you that Tomac, well, I shouldn't say I guarantee you because I have no proof, but I would be very confident in saying that Eli Tomac didn't take a pay cut to leave Monster Energy Kawasaki because I'm sure he he could have stayed there very easily. I don't think that Kawasaki had any interest in losing Tomac. You know, he, he's been their number one rider for a long time. He's got three 450 motocross championships in the last four years. He was your, you know, 2020 supercross champion. And I don't know why they would want to lose that guy. So I'm sure it came as a blow to Monster Energy Kawasaki. That couldn't have been an easy conversation to have. But I think that Tomac is also entering the twilight years of his career. And, and that's crazy to say because he is pretty young. You know, he's still in his 20s. But that's that's what I believe. I, I think another year or two and he's out of here. I honestly thought it was going to be this year. You know, if you rewound to a year ago, I thought this would be the final year of him racing. I thought he would ride out this Kawasaki contract and then ride off into the sunset. You know, he's expecting his second child. He's done really everything there is to do in this sport. You know, he really hasn't left anything that he's going to regret, in my opinion. You know, he's won everything. He's done all the Motocross of Nations things. Supercross titles. He's got a ton of wins. He's up there on all the, all the lists of all timers. And, uh, yeah, it it just would have been an easy time to step away, but clearly he didn't want to clearly he wanted to continue going down this path. And, uh, yeah, so I don't have as much information as I do questions. It just really caught me by surprise. I don't know if it was unhappiness with the direction of the motorcycle or he just wanted a change of scenery uh, just an interesting dynamic there. Yeah. I, I'm curious to know if he will be joining the the team down at the goat farm, because if, if you guys didn't know monster energy, Yamaha, Bobby Reagan's team, of course, they purchased the goat farm to have a full-time training and testing facility that was not in California. So that's where they will be spending all their, all their time. You know, instead of riding at Paula every day for outdoors, they'll be in, uh, in Cairo, Georgia, riding at a, you know, at a facility that I've been to many times. I didn't ride there a lot. Uh, my time of racing Ricky, um, was just kind of getting that facility up and going, but you know, it's, there's been a lot of people, you know, from Davos to Savachis and, and just tons and tons of riders have all come through that place. And now it's going to be the home to monster star Yamaha. So let's see how that plays into Tomac's plans, because as we know, he's been so much more akin to riding in Colorado outside of his mandatory testing that he's got to do in California. So again, more questions and answers on that, but you know, if you're monster star Yamaha, you're going to want him in, in Georgia riding and and training and testing with all the other guys, because not only do you feel that it's going to give Tomac the best chance of winning, having him, I don't want to say under your thumb because that's a, a negative connotation that I don't mean, but having direct input over his training and riding all the time, not only that, think about all of the uh, drip down effect positively that he would have on guys like Justin Cooper, Nate Thrasher, insert who, whatever young 250 rider that you want into that conversation and think about all of the things that those riders would learn from riding and working with a guy like Eli Tomac every day. So there, there's a lot to be gained and a lot of positivity that could come from that situation. The main question is, I just don't know if Eli Tomac would be willing to do that, right? He's, as I mentioned, he's about to have a second child. I can't imagine that his wife and their newborn and about to be another new baby in the house is going to want to up and move their family to North Florida, which is where most people live. They would live in Tallahassee area for, and that's just an assumption. That's usually what happens because there's, you know, restaurants and, and all the niceties that you know, convenience provides that, that would just be a tough ask when you could stay at monster Kawasaki and not deal with any of that. Um, I I personally can't see that happening, but again, I I have no information on that front. We'll just have to wait and see, but more change, uh, other than Tomac, uh, of course, Aaron Plessinger is moving to, uh, Red Bull KTM. That's a pretty big move. 
you know, when that move was presented, he had a choice. He could stay at Monster Star Yamaha or he could go to Red Bull KTM. And both deals were really good. They were both attractive propositions. I think he's making the right choice and that's without riding the bike. And I, you know, I'm an outsider, but everything I've seen about Red Bull KTM's program is positioned for success. And I really like where that bike is in its development. You know, as we watch Cooper Webb's developments too, you know, he's coming off of a, another Supercross championship. We'll see how his, his form fares this summer, but I really like Plessinger's chances of, of rolling into a nice position at Red Bull KTM. And I'll just go ahead and get into why, because if you look at the, the moves that Cooper Webb is making, I wonder how long Cooper Webb's going to be around. You know, it hasn't been talked about a whole lot, but Cooper Webb's going to be departing Alden Baker's program. And I don't know all the details there, but he's, yeah, for whatever reason, he he's making a move away from that. So I don't know if that means he, he'll move back to North Carolina. My guess would be he will. But that's a that's a pretty big development in the sport for him to be leaving that program. So if you look at the success rate he had going to that program, is he going to slip a little bit departing there and being back on his own and making his own training decisions? And we've just seen that a lot of people's level drops off a little bit when you leave there. And I know that's that's a huge assumption to make that Cooper Webb's you know, performance is going to dip because he's leaving there. I don't, I can't prove that, you know, but historically guys have been at their best when they've been on Eldon's program. That That's my opinion. You look at Jason, Jason Anderson's championships. You look at all the historical championships that have been won there. You look at the rise of Zach Osborne when he moved there. You look at how good Mar, uh, Marvin Muscan has been there, has been when he was there. You look at Ken Roxon's championships when he was at on Alden's program, uh, man, it, it, it's just a really challenging argument to make to say that he's going to be as good or better on his own outside of Alden Baker's program. And when you take into account that Plessinger would be moving to that program, that's a, it's a nice upgrade in my opinion. I, I really like how that all lines up for Plessinger. He has a chance to maybe be KTM's number one guy moving forward say Webb's not around for the first, you know, long term. I have no idea. I'm just completely speculating. But when you see these moves get made to me, when Webb's coming off of two Supercross championships, he's got a ton of money now, right? When he's about to sign a few new deals, a lot of his personal contracts are, are up. So he's negotiating a lot of those. He did change managers too, which isn't really public info yet, but that's, that's kind of happening behind the scenes. So I won't really talk about it too much until it's public, but he's making Cooper Webb is making a lot of changes behind the scenes. And to me, that signifies he's thinking about the next phase of his life versus being all in on in the present. And he's earned it. You look at everything he's won from two video championships to four video championships. Financially, he should be set, uh, you know, in perpetuity, in my opinion, as long as you're doing the right things with your money, he's made plenty of that. So yeah, we'll see how that all plays out. Um, that's just a that's just a huge development. It has a lot of ripple effects for not only Cooper Webb's sphere around him, but also people like Plessinger, people that are competing against Webb. Does that open opportunity for other people not only to join Alden Baker's program, but to maybe find a way to beat Cooper Webb? Is, is he the dominant force that he has been over the last couple of years? So. Lots of things happening there. A lot of uh, a lot of things yet to be seen, but it, it's really curious um, the move. I, I didn't see that coming either. So I guess I'm getting caught by surprise <laughs> on a lot of fronts on this podcast because I didn't see the Tomac thing happening. I didn't see Webb leaving at all. Uh, I just did. Man, he's been so successful there. It's just shocking to me that he would want to upset the Apple Cart at all. Man, it, you know, if you're wanting to continue winning and winning's the most important thing in your life right now, which I think if you're going to do this as a living, it better be. I can't imagine that he's not in the best situation already for that. And, and that's from the outside, right? I, I'm purely saying that as a spectator, but I'm looking at the results and I'm looking at 
how powerful his racecraft was and, and being on that bike and that program and being around Zacco and Muskan and all those things like it's damn, if it didn't seem to be working, uh, that's, that's just my take on it. Another guy that looks to be moving Jason Anderson. I don't have proof again, but I'm, I'm fairly confident that he's going to end up replacing Eli Tomek at monster energy Kawasaki. That's an interesting move. I would have never thought thought he would end up there. I could have seen him moving, right? He was, he was the, the guy that was looking to go to monster star Yamaha. He had a really nice offer to move over there, but this Tomac thing that changed when, when they got Tomac, right? That budget dried up immediately and kind of left Anderson in limbo as okay. What now? I think that if Anderson wanted to stay at rockstar Husky, he could, but for whatever reason, and only Jason knows that he's looking to make a change and it, and it looks like he's moving over to monster energy Cali to me, that's a great move. Uh, I, I really have a high, uh, opinion of monster energy Kawasaki. They, they seem to have a very professional effort. You know, I, w- I used to be around that team quite a bit with Tim Ferry and then Chad Reed after that. And just everything I've seen on their end has been first class effort, great technology, uh, and they've been really committed to rider success. So I think for Anderson, if you can get that deal and you can make that move over there, kudos to you, man. That, that seems like a, a, a really nice, I don't want to say upgrade because I think the Husky is great. Uh, but if you're, if you're making a sideways move or making a change, that seems like a very enviable position to be in, to move over to Cali. Now, as for what I think is going to happen in this, this, Lucas Oil Promotocross Series in the midst of all this change. You know, we have a lot of riders that are coming back from injury. There's a lot of riders that are going to be facing or dealing with different levels of motivation. And that rolls right in from the conversations we just had. Is Cooper Webb going to be motivated after winning the Supercross Championship? I would say, eh, kind of, not really. Um, I think he'll try, but I don't think it's going to be on the level of dedication that some others will bring to the series. Because as we know, there's such a, a, an overweight level of importance placed on supercross. Like there just, everybody is all in on winning the supercross championship. And if you get that done, you almost get a pass for the summer and that they would never say that publicly. But in my opinion, that's kind of how it's viewed is like, yeah, we need you to ride. Don't, don't half-ass the thing, but your season has already been made. Like no one's going to whine at you about a poor performance or, you know, maybe you're not really giving us your best, let's say this summer, because you won the Supercross championship. No, no one cares past that. So I don't, I don't expect a ton from Webb. Uh, maybe he'll prove me wrong, but that's just kind of how I see it. And that's, that's how it's played out in the past. A lot of times too. Um, we have seen guys like Villapoto and some of these guys come out and prove that, prove that wrong. But you know, we saw it in 2019 from Webb, and I, and I think we'll see it again. It's just decent performance, podiums, but not the same, you know, late moto, just Webb is better than everybody uh, performances that we saw this spring. I just think you'll see more of a, a mediocre level uh, from Webb. You know, if, if, if he does win some motos, great. If he tweaks his back or has any sort of nagging injury and needs to leave the series early to – get it fixed or heal up. I think you could very likely see that too. Just like last, last year, it's exactly the the scenario we saw Zach Osborne coming back from injury. You know, the big question there is, can his back stay, uh, within a working range where he doesn't have to take time off and he can continue to train the way he wants to. That's really the wild card for me. If that is the case and he can perform to the best of his ability all summer, he will be a threat to deal with. Uh, I think you'll see him winning races. Now, can he re- repeat as champion? I don't know. You know, uh, of course, I'm I'm not a, a fortune teller, but it seemed like everything lined up perfectly for him last year to win that title. And that usually, stuff like that doesn't happen generally two years in a row. If he wins it this year, he's going to have to prove he's the best guy. That That's really what it comes down to. It's too much to ask to think that you're going to just get anything handed to you. You know, that these Lucas Oil Promotocross championships are, are really never kind of given. They're always earned. They're, the series is just too tough and there's 24 motos and it's a you know long grueling season. So I think he's going to have to step up and win. 
and he, and he did that last year to his to his credit. You know, those Loretto wins performances and and some of the races where you know Red Bud where he goes one one. Did he go one one? But I remember you know him talking about how easy that Red Bud day was for him. He's going to have to have days like that where he just proves he's the best guy if he wants to uh, to repeat. And and I don't know. You know, he he didn't ride for quite a while during the Supercross season because of his back. So. I'm not sure that anybody knows exactly where he his performance level is going to be at until we we roll into Paula, you know, in ten or eleven days. I think one thing we have to mention there is remember how strong Osborne got off, you know, the the start to his season last year. Those Loretta rounds really worked to his advantage, and he got out and he got a big points lead, leaving Tennessee, and that man that really propelled him forward. You know, Tomac DNF'd both of those motos at, uh, I think, was it the second Loretta wins round? Whichever Loretta wins round was muddy. He goes DNF, DNF, and that essentially took him out of the series, and it changed the complete outlook for everybody. I think Osborne went, uh, I can win this now. You know, take take Tomac out of this thing, and man, it's wide open. So with starting at Paula and then going directly to Thunder Valley, I don't know that that lines up as well for Osborne. You know, he'll probably shut me up and go 1-1 or something at Paula, and then I have to retract everything I just said. But I don't think his his strength is uh, going to be as likely, or I think the likelihood of him going 1-1 or 1-2 or, or winning the overall at Paula is less because you have guys like Cincerillo and a lot of these guys, Ferrandis, these guys ride Paula all the time. I mean, this is their home practice track. Every Tuesday they're out there. So I think they will have a distinct advantage over someone like Osborne who spends most of his time in Florida. So we'll see. That's just kind of a a big change from 2020 that I see is, you know, the, the starts to these series are critical for motivation and just where these guys' heads are mentally, you know, their optimism and confidence and all these things. And if you get off to a bad start or maybe you go like 3-6 of the first round, it just doesn't start you off on the right foot. And that's a very obvious statement, but it really does matter. I think Osborne leaving those first two rounds in Tennessee last year, it just, it changed the entire frame framework of what we were going to see. And if you get a guy like Chase Sexton, who I was going to get to, he rides, rides that track quite a bit too. He, you know, he spent a lot of time uh, on Geico Honda 250. They were all rode out there all the time. You take a guy like him you give him who was your winner last year, Apollo, don't forget. He goes out and wins the first round. It can really just rocket someone like that forward mentally, right? And then they, they're like, man, I can, I can win this series just like Zach last year. You know, he was your champion, but I don't think anybody had him penciled in as a likely champion last summer. But you give him that confidence early in the series. You give him a points lead. And then he can manage it just like, you know, Sexton's won 250 championships. It's not like they've never been in that position before. It's just a different class and it takes time to build up that confidence where they're not looking at their fellow competitors like Roxon and Tomac and Webb and these guys. They're not looking at them as superiors. They're just looking at them as peers. And that's a, that's a huge difference. And that's a big mental hurdle that these guys have to get over. It's critical if you want to become a champion in this class that you look down the line and you're like, yeah, they're good, but so am I. And if, as long as I ride well, I'll win versus man, these guys are, these guys are really good. They've been doing this a long time. I don't know that I can beat these guys in a 12 round series. I just, I don't know. Am am I there yet? Am I ready yet? Am I mature enough? Am I that guy yet? And those are questions that these, these riders are asking themselves in their heads and only to themselves, you know, when they're, they're laying in bed on Friday night before a national. They're staring at the ceiling with all this, you know, anxiety and all the things that riders go through. Those are questions that they ask themselves and they would probably never admit it, but they do. Everybody, everybody goes through those, those processes of working your way into just acceptance that you are one of those guys. Um, so that's kind of where I see guys like Sexton, Cincerillo, any of these younger guys that are just moving up, they have to go out and prove that. Even a guy like Plessinger, I think he's still in that process where he needs to go out and win and win convincingly to prove to himself that he can. Because if you look at like Atlanta Supercross where he was checking out, I think he would have won that race pretty easily. 
he blew it. He fell over, and, and I think he was in his own head. I think he was asking himself those questions instead of just being like, yeah, I'm out of here. See ya. I think he was like, man, am I really going to win? Like, is this really going to happen? And I think we've seen that with Cincerillo in the past, making stupid mistakes when everything was going your way and you didn't have to take any chances. I think we've seen it with Sexton, you know, him, him making that mistake in Atlanta, same venue, right? He makes a mistake with a lapper, uh, just silly mistakes. And, and that's a, that's a learning process and a maturity process that these guys will work through, but they're, they're each on their own time frame of when they work through those things. So just something to watch for this summer, you know, who takes that next step forward and you know, who's, who's still working on it. So that's kind of where I see it. I, I don't have a really strong conviction for who will win the the series this summer. I think it could be Osborne. I think it could be Sexton. I think it could be Cincerillo. Of course it could be Tomac. I don't believe it's going to be Webb. That's just my opinion. Uh, but I think it's going to, I don't think it's going to be Roxanne either. I think the Supercross series took a lot out of him physically. And I think you'll see some flashes from him, but I, I think you'll see him more worried about 2022 and, uh, I, I just hope he makes the whole series, I guess, at this point. You know, if, if he was struggling with any sort of physical ailment in Supercross, that's only going to be heightened, and the, the stresses of that will be even more visible once we go into, uh, you know, this Lucas Oil Pro Motocross series. You get into hot temperatures and all kinds of different aspects that make life very difficult if you're suffering physically. So, interesting summer. Again, like I mentioned, I don't I – don't, have really a, a favorite. I, I, I'm going to struggle during these. We're filming our racer X pre uh, season preview videos tomorrow, Wednesday. I'm recording this on Tuesday morning. So we'll be filming those Wednesday and, and I'm going to be hard pressed to give real predictions because I just don't have any strong opinions and maybe I need to form some because everybody hates when I waffle and, but I, I, I think it's wide open. I really do. You know, historically, the, the smart money would say to go with Tomac and just close the book. But I haven't seen anything from Tomac that would lead me to believe he's going to go out and smoke everybody. You know, if he does end up winning this series, I think it would just be on a consistency level. And he gets a ton of podiums, gets a few wins, and he's just there at the end. Because if you take out that Tennessee DNF, uh, you know, DNF both of those motos in the mud, he's right there. You know, I, I don't know that he wins it, but he would have been right in the mix. And then maybe that changes the entire dynamic of it. So maybe he, he does bounce back and find a way to win this thing this summer. Maybe Marvin Muscan shows up. He was on fire at the end of Supercross series. Maybe this is the, the season he finally gets it done. So lots of guys that could, you know, Sexton, the since Rose already mentioned those guys, but I think their time is coming. Maybe this is it. You know, they, they have to be looking at the series and seeing the opportunity. Just as I'm saying that there's no clear favorite, surely they are too. You know, they have smart people around them that are all in their ear saying, hey, there's there's no alpha right now. You can be the alpha. You can go establish yourself. And this championship is here for the taking because I promise you at some point, Tomac and Plessinger and all these guys are going to start thinking about team changes and Supercross next year. And they all have to, they all have to do so much testing for next year because they're changing teams and bikes. And it's a, it's just this monumental shift that they're going to have to make. And don't forget the series is, uh, is a little later this year too, which, which eats into their, their testing and preparation time. And that's going to start just sneaking into their planning a little bit, right? If, if the motocross series isn't going to plan, say they get off to a rough start the first couple of rounds, I can guarantee you thoughts of next year are going to start creeping in, whether they want to or not, right? That can be subconsciously, but the less, the less uh, relevant they are in this motocross championship, the more likely they are to start thinking about next year. So, so another little mental dynamic just to keep your eye on. I do want to talk about MotoGP a little bit. And if you, you don't like MotoGP, you don't care about MotoGP, well, I understand. You don't have to listen. That's okay. That's that's my coverage of Lucas Oil Pro Motocross coming up. So understand if you stop listening at this point. But I would ask you, check it out, man. If you've never watched it, if you're even the most casual viewer fan ever, give it a shot. It will take some effort. 
and, you know, everybody's name is going to be hard to pronounce, you know, all these, you got all these European writers and you're not going to be sure who's from where and what team and, you know, nothing about anybody and the racing's on pavement and you don't understand any of the nuances of it or any of that. But I was no different. I, I was introduced to MotoGP in 2011, 2012, something like that by Chad Reed. He took me to, uh, Laguna Seca. It was 2012. And this was the end of Casey Stoner's reign. It was his final season. And, uh, Chad knows all those guys really well. So immediately, you know, I'm just thrust into the mix with all these MotoGP stars, right? I'm at dinner with Lorenzo and we're in Casey Stoner's private garage, like hanging out with him and his family. And it's just crazy times. Uh, I didn't really know any of the, who any of these guys were. I knew they were a huge deal. But I just went from zero to a hundred, like right in the midst of all this stuff. I'm doing shots at the bar after the race with all, you know, Rossi and, and Mark Marquez. That was right when Marquez was getting going. Right. And, and he was obviously it was a big deal, but nothing like now. And he was, he was more chasing Chad around wanting Chad's attention than the other way around. Uh, and, and so I was talking to Mark and it was just crazy times thinking about how it's my, interest level and knowledge has progressed in the sport. And I really follow it closely now. And I, I really enjoy all the dynamics to it. And, and I've, uh, forged a relationship with the paddock pass podcast guys over in Europe. Um, uh, you know, Steve English and, um, uh, you know, Adam Wheeler and some of the guys I talked to there, they do a great job and, and I've learned a ton listening to them. So if you want to listen to a, a dedicated podcast to MotoGP and a little bit of world Superbike as well, I would check out that Paddock Pass podcast too. But, you know, we're a few rounds in now and Jack Miller won again. And, and Jack is probably the rider I know best from MotoGP. We've spent quite a bit of time together, you know, whether it's MotoGP races or him coming over, you know, he's ridden motocross a ton in the States when they have, they have a ton of time off. <laughs> All they, they get so much more time off than we even dream about over here. But he'll get to come ride motocross. He's been to a, a bunch of supercrosses and I've gotten him tickets and press box passes and all kinds of stuff for supercross because when they come over, they don't know a lot of guys, right? If, if, you know, like someone like Jeremy Mallott or someone from Red Bull isn't there to dial them in, they don't really know anyone. They don't have connections, which is crazy because they are the biggest stars and, you know, biggest stars on two wheels really when it comes down to it globally. But that doesn't mean they know anybody at Feld or, anybody that they get to reach out to and just say, Hey, can you hook me up? Right. For a guy like Jack Miller, who he races for factory Ducati, he, you know, there's not an OEM connection there with one of the Japanese brands. So he can't, he doesn't call Honda or Yamaha or whatever and say, Hey, hook me up. You know, Ducati's not, doesn't have a place in Supercross, So there, there's a lot there going on. And of course I'm happy to bend over backwards to help him and do whatever I can. Uh, but those guys are, they're fans, man. They're huge fans of Supercross. They ride quite a bit of them ride motocross. If you know anything about like Andrea Davicioso, he's just, <laughs> he's obsessed with motocross. He's actually riding motocross full time right now instead of, uh, <laughs> racing MotoGP, which is crazy. But these guys, they follow the sport really, really closely. So, uh, there's a lot of mutual respect back and forth. You know, most of the supercross guys are, are giant MotoGP fans now. And anytime there's a chance to, visit each series, which doesn't happen a lot, but maybe once or twice a year, you'll see guys moving or visiting a race there, or those guys coming over, you know, they used to come over for the Anaheims quite a bit because that was a nice time where they could get away. They could spend some time in America because again, you know, they don't test much there. They don't, they have scheduled tests for MotoGP where everybody tests at the same time on the same track. And it's all very, very structured where motocross, like everybody's riding all the time. They're riding their race bikes every single day. That's not how MotoGP works at all. Unless it's a scheduled test with the team, with everyone else, you don't get to ride your MotoGP bike. You know, they can ride a, you know, like if you ride for factory Honda, you could either go flat tracking or you could ride motocross, or you could even grab like a CBR 1000, but it's so different. So most of these guys spend their times, their time training on still a two wheel discipline, but something else. And it's really transitioned into flat track. And the reason is, is MotoGP is all about sliding. They're sliding the front tires and the rear tires all the time. And it's pretty wild to watch them maneuver these bikes with 
you know, 250, 280, 300 horsepower. And they're constantly on the edge of traction and they're doing these two wheel drifts all the time. Well, flat track is really similar to that. And that's why you see Marquez and Rossi and Jack Miller and all these guys that they, they spend all of their training time on flat track to improve their, their feel and their skill in a two wheel drift scenario. So when they get on those big MotoGP bikes, the dynamic is the same. They're, they're used to sliding all over the place and that just feels like home. Uh, so when they, you know, when they come over, you'll see, you'll see them riding motocross a lot, but their training is much more, uh, flat track based. And they usually all have flat track facilities now. And you see Jack Miller go home. He does ride motocross for fun, but I think flat track is where they really improve their skill set. So as for Jack could not be more excited to see him winning. You know, the, he did win in the rain a few years ago, but this, this is a giant leap forward. Uh, for him to win two in a row, I mean, he was under a ton of pressure at Ducati. That's a really high, high pressure, high demand team to be on. You know, he's in, he's an Australian on an Italian team, which follows the the legacy of Casey Stoner over there. And, and you just have to perform. You don't have a choice. Like they will replace you. If you don't win races and you don't live up to expectation, you're gone. That, that sounds dramatic, but that's the truth. They will undoubtedly find someone else to put on that motorcycle. So for him to get this done after a horrific start to the season, just emotionally, I can't imagine how much of a lift this was for him. And, uh, yeah, couldn't be, couldn't be more excited for him. And it it makes me smile to see all of that weight lifted off of his shoulders. And now, now it's championship implications, you know, that's a different level of pressure, but I think he would much rather be dealing with those thoughts then the other side was like, man, I'm going to lose my ride, you know? So everything has turned around for him in just a few short weeks. For me, I, I still think Fabio Quartararo is your championship favorite. I just think over the course of the season, he's going to be the most consistent. He won't have racetracks that leave him uh, just non-competitive. I just think he'll find ways to be in your top five or six on bad tracks. And then he's going to win several rounds too. Uh, you know, MotoGP racing is the equipment is so much more prevalent than, than moto, you know, you can overcome uh, a bike that may be just a, a little bit less effective than the guy next to you. The rider is just so much more impactful in, in motocross and supercross than in MotoGP. The bike, if your bike's not up to par, you kind of have no chance. You know, we, we've seen guys like Mark Marquez that can overcome something like that, but that's a once in a generation type rider that can do that. If you take an average championship contender and you put him on a sub subpar motorcycle, or even, even just say his settings are off for that day, or even not even that just the track doesn't line up with what that bike does. Well, you're not going to do good. It's just, you can't overcome it. Your expectations go from, I'm going to try to win today to, I just hope we stay inside the top five and a top 10 would even be acceptable simply because the track doesn't line up with what our bike does. Well, it's crazy how that works out. And if you're, a, if you're a pure moto guy and you're learning about MotoGP, that's going to come as a shock to you because I, I know it did for me. I'm like, what? Like, so you're telling me that this rider is on a factory bike and he's going into this round, say Jerez or wherever Bruno and Czech Republic pick one doesn't matter. He's not going to be able to do well today. And he knows that he knows going in that I'm going to suck today because this track doesn't line up with my bike's characteristics. That's, that's what they're thinking going in. And that's the absolute truth. They just gauge their expectations based off of the track and what they know their bike does well. And, and what I mean by that is, uh, like the Honda, especially is really great at, at cornering very tightly and accelerating out of a tight corner. They can pick the bike up out of the lean angle and accelerate really hard and, and they get really, uh, they have great acceleration grip exiting a slower corner where the Yamaha is much better carrying corner speed through a fast corner and stability and having front end front tire grip through a really fast corner. So if you have a track with really sweeping fast corners, the Yamaha is going to be better. Where if you have a really tight track, uh, like Portimao or, uh, 
Coda in Texas, Austin, that's a, is a great example of one where Marquez was almost unstoppable because of that. Uh, the, uh, Nürburgring in Germany is another track where I think Marquez may be undefeated, uh, because of that. It's a lot of it's Marquez as well, but the Honda has another nice advantage there too, which only heightens Marquez's, you know, how powerful he is at that racetrack because the bike is great there and he is unbelievably great virtually on any track anyway. But if you go to a track, like let's say in Qatar to start the season, it's has the longest straightaway of this, of the season. Uh, maybe it does, uh, let's say Phillip Island, but no, I'm pretty sure it's, uh, Qatar cutter, however you want to say it. But the Ducatis are just unbelievably powerful there because their biggest strength is top end speed. They just have so much torque and top end speed that that long straightaway, they can power past anybody. And if you watch that race or if you went back and watched it, you would see them just line people up and blow by them every single time down the, you know, the start finish straightaway. And they get it. But if you get into a really tight track, they suffer. Uh, And it's really just how the bikes are configured. Are they going for the fastest motorcycle that makes them a little bit less agile? You know, they're going for top speed or are you going for the most nimble bike out there that maybe isn't as, as fast on the long straightaways, but the riders can flick it around and it's, it's very uh, user friendly. Suzuki's right there, right? Suzuki could be down on power. You know, they've gotten better. This bike is definitely better than years past as far as uh, just comparatively power wise, but the Suzuki is so great for being easy on the tires that at the end of the race, if the Suzuki guys are hanging around late, like say there's five or six laps left and a Suzuki is in the top three, everybody else knows they're in big trouble because the Suzuki is really efficient there. They have, uh, just the way their electronics are and the way that their power is put down by their engine package they save their tires. So at the end of the race, tires are everything. And the Suzuki's have a, a really nice advantage. And you see those guys, Renz and Joanne Mir, who was your champion last year. They just prey on everyone late in the race. And the guys that are they're battling with are powerless. If you have no tire left, you can be the greatest rider in the world. And I don't care if you try to push the edge, you're going to end up on the ground. And they all know that, right? They can feel the tire going away from them. So if those Suzuki guys have tire left, which they always do, they just ride right past them. And, and I've watch these races with, you know, people that don't watch the sport mode. They're like, how could you just let him ride by you? And the guy has no grip. Like he's just trying to hold on to the motorcycle. You know, he's got the thing leaned over and he's dragging his knee through a corner. He's just hoping the thing doesn't step out on him, uh, front or rear as he rolls that throttle on where the Suzuki is much more, his grip is much more like mid race for a lot of the other guys. And, uh, yeah, so there's just so many of these dynamics and I know I'm wandering a bit, but that's, those are some of the subtleties and the nuances of MotoGP that once you start to learn them and you figure them out and, and all these things that are happening mid-race, you're like, oh, this is happening because of that. And you're wondering how this guy's going to manage this dynamic. And you see like, let's say Renz is sitting in like seventh place and there's like 10 laps to go, but he's, he's just in the back of the screen, right? You can just see him coming through the corner. He's, he's not in the champion or the, the battle for the win, but you're like, uh Oh, like you can almost see it coming because you know that the Suzuki's tires at the end are going to be better than everybody else. Right. And there's just so many of those little things that as you learn them, uh, it just makes the, the viewing experience so much better. And, uh, you know, a lot of the things that I'm sharing with you, I've learned from the paddock pass guys. Uh, those guys have been around the sport forever you know, like me, myself with supercross and motocross, it's all I've ever done and known. So I know that stuff like the back of my hand and it's just, it's just burned into my psyche. It's just a part of who I am. That's the same thing for these guys. That's all they've been around is MotoGP and road racing. So they know all this stuff. They don't even have to think about it. It just oozes out of them. And that's, those are a lot of the things I'm learning as well. One question I have, and I don't have answers to this. I, I would love to, to learn more about where some of these guys thoughts are is Maverick Vinales. And, you know, he was, he was kind of the, the next big thing for Yamaha a few years ago. He still is on factory Yamaha, but he's been underwhelming 
You know, he's won some races, no question. He's been great at times, but he's had so many races where you're just shaking your head, wondering what the hell he's doing. This, this last race, uh, at Le Mans in France was exactly the same. I don't, I don't know what was going on. You know, he just wasn't in the battle at all. And maybe it could have been, could have been because of weather. I don't really think wet weather racing is, is a strength of Mavericks, but he's got to be better than that. He's got to be in the top five up there with those guys, whether winning, I get it. You don't, you know, it's only one guy can win. I get it. But for Vinales to not even be up there at all, to be getting passed by, I think, I think Lekaluna passed him the last lap. I'm pretty sure that's who it was. A guy like Lekaluna should not be passing Maverick Vinales in the race. That just should not be happening. In my opinion, if you're going to be the guy that Yamaha is looking to, to win. And, and you could say that Fabio has taken that spot. So the, pre, you know, <laughs> for good or for bad, that pressure has been removed from Vinales, probably for the bad, but I, I just don't think that's a, a situation. And we find that with Vinales time and time again, where he's, he's underperforming. And I just wonder, I wonder how much more Yamaha is going to put up with it. You know, is he going to be relegated to a team like Patronus next year? Cause I, I, I personally don't think, that Rossi will stick around performing at this level. I, I just can't see him there, but could you see Yamaha relegating him to him to another spot and maybe bringing up someone like Morbidelli? You know, I don't know. That's a kind of a sideways move, but at some point I think Yamaha is going to give Morbidelli a shot because some of you don't know Morbidelli's on a 2019 factory bike. He didn't want the 2020, so that's kind of on him to decide, but him being on Patronus Yamaha, he's always a year behind on technology. So is Yamaha going to finally give Morbidelli the chance to shine and put him on the same level of equipment, you know, the best equipment that they have to offer. So we'll see. It was just something I, I I've been kind of wondering about Vinales and, and I just don't know how much more patience Yamaha is going to show with him. Now Magello is up next for MotoGP. It's in uh, well, less than two weeks now. That's a, that's obviously in Italy. <clears throat> that's a huge race for Ducati. A lot of pressure on the Italian teams that perform there. You know, all the brass is, you know, all, all eyes on the Italian teams, which is all the time. You know, I've ridden for an Italian team. I rode for Factory Husqvarna when it was Italian. High pressure situations all the time. They make no bones about telling you that you need to perform or else. <clears throat> and that's kind of how they roll. So, you know, Jack's coming off two wins, but that doesn't mean any pressure is really off of him, especially rolling into Mugello. So we'll see. Uh, I know that, you know, and I, I say that about Rossi, I need to clarify. I don't know that Rossi's going to be around next year. I meant that at Yamaha. There's talk of him starting his own Ducati team. Uh, he's got a long time uh, partnership with, uh, Sky that, that sponsors his, um, half brother, Luca Marini. So there's been a lot of talk about Rossi starting a Ducati team with Sky support. So we'll, we'll see how that all shakes out. But I could just see the Yamaha effort for Rossi going away next year. And, and Rossi can stick around in the sport as long as he wants. He's got all the money in the world. And I mean, I mean that in every way possible. Uh, and, it, and he's going to get sponsorship till the day he wants to stop. So just a, another thing to watch there is uh, mentioning Ducati and Mugello. So that's it for MotoGP talk. I'm not an expert by any means. I'm just a fan. But I, I've learned a lot. You know, I've had a lot of a lot of insight and a lot of opportunity to spend time with these guys, right? And, and you talk about things behind the scenes and you get their real opinions on this stuff and not the watered down interviews that they do at press conferences. And you get to see, and, and I, I think it gives me an ability to form my own opinions because I've heard the real opinions come out of their mouths and the real stories and how it really is versus, uh, you know, some dressed up, version of the truth. Anyway, I want to thank all the sponsors for being a part of this. Thank you so much. Uh, the, you know, we're in, uh, what year two of this podcast and, uh, it's been a huge success of course, because of these guys, Pirelli tires, got the new mid soft mini tires coming out, Plum Creek funding, reach out to Zach Morris, get your refi done, get your house purchase done. And all you guys know, the housing market is just on another level. There are no houses available. It's just half the problem. But if you're, uh, if you're in the market, if you just want to take advantage of these low rates while you can reach out to Zach guts racing, check out that RJ wide wing seat. 
build some custom graphics, whatever your needs are, go to at guts racing on Instagram and gutsracing.com. fast foundry. They're a non-moto brand, but they are moto people, which is really cool. So if you want to get your company automated, you want to get more efficient and, uh, you know, everything's coming out of COVID now We're we're in this reopening time. And if you want, if your business is experiencing a boom, reach out to fast foundry and make sure that you're making the most of it. Works connection. Use that promo code JT 21, pick up that pro on start device, which you're going to see all season long. It was all promotocross monster star. Yamaha uses it. Factory Honda uses it. So you'll see whole shots from both of those guys. I can promise you blends all oils. They have that new ultra TPI that just came out. Check out blendsall.com. They have a brand new catalog and they're making a big push. They're on a bunch of podcasts that I listen to in X vice. Uh, they sponsor one of Steve Matz's podcasts with Jason Wygant. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's nice to see those guys back in the sport. Premier Vapor Blasting, mention the podcast, get yourself a 25% discount, get your bike looking brand new again, whether it's a brand new bike or an old one. And I have a 2021 Honda in my garage at this moment. So what I'll probably do is, uh, yeah, wash it up, maybe send a couple of items off that they can get dialed in. I'll get yelled at by keeper because I'm not riding it, but I think real life testimonials are the way to go for premier vapor blasting, because if you've never seen the work that they do, it's going to take you by surprise the first time. So go to at premier vapor blasting on Instagram and check out some of the, the awesome uh, pieces that they've done in the past. Six twelve suspension mentioned the podcast. You get a 20% discount on parts and labor. They're a race tech affiliate. So you're guaranteed that quality and craftsmanship and parts and labor that you're going to want. And if nothing else, man, just get your oil changed. I'm not saying you got to go all in on a revalve or any of that stuff. I would recommend it, but at minimum, get your damn oil changed because it does make a huge difference in performance. Grandstone boots, check it out. Grandstoneboot.com. Uh, we just gave away a set of Grandstone boots from Pulpamex Fantasy and uh, can't wait to hear how he likes those. The quality and the craftsmanship and just the look of Grandstone boot is unsurpassed, man. I, I look far better than I should. Every time I, I walk out the door in my Grandstone boots, pro glow wash, use the, the promo code moto 15. And what I always say about this is you should be using a power sports wash. That's purpose built for power sports. We did a podcast with Ryan Humphrey from pro action fluids and pro glow wash at the Arlington supercross. So if you want to go back and look at that episode, he explains exactly why you should be using pro glow wash. And you can, if you ever have any questions on any of that stuff, the science behind it, reach out to me. And, and I'm happy to put you into contact with Ryan. Uh, I, I think he loves sharing the message with this and, and really just educating consumers on why you should be pro buying pro glow wash versus simple green or whatever else is on the market. So, you know, half the purpose of these podcasts and really the, the only reason that they're advertising is to educate consumers, right? So you can make a, a better buying decision and that's going to leave you with a better overall experience anyway. Last but not least fly racing. Of course, I will be heading into fly racing offices here in about, I don't know, three hours, maybe something like that. Yes, it is 4am. Uh, as I'm recording this podcast, that's not a joke. I started this at what time? Let's, let's just look. Uh, I'm 52 minutes in. So I started this at 3:10 AM. What the hell is wrong with me? 3:10 AM. I, I logged onto this thing to start recording. Anyway, thanks again. We'll, uh, we'll see you in a week or so.